sometimes when I'm reading scripture, I get stuck on a verse. I don't know if that's happened to you, and I know that God has something in that verse for me that I wouldn't have otherwise brought to my attention, and I go on reading, and I, and I have to go back, and I have to go back, and I have to go back to a verse. And I think I may have shared this last year, but this happened one morning when I was still uh, vice president of a large mission. And uh, I was reading a verse, and it, uh, the verse was, The Lord of hosts is with us. And I just went on reading, and I thought, somehow it just stuck in my mind. I couldn't get anything more out of the Psalms. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. Well, I, I didn't have, and our, our library there at the mission did not have any real good books on Hebrews, so often I'll call one of the Hebrew scholars I know and ask them, what does this mean in Hebrew? So I called a, a friend of mine who's a Hebrew scholar, and I said, what does that mean, the Lord of hosts is with us? And he said, well, Jim, it's, a, it's really unique there. Host are the invincible armies of heaven. Lord, in that connection, is the commander-in-chief who has no equal. And so when you put it together, it's the commander-in-chief who has no equal, who rules the armies of heaven that cannot lose, is with us. Isn't that wonderful? You know, I just, I just, it thrilled my heart. And And some of the things I'll be sharing are not easy to hear. But realize the Lord of hosts is with us. We're talking about a battle that has already been won. But many people are losing, not realizing the victory that is theirs. And they're not appropriating the victory of the cross in their lives. And so as we talk, sometimes it's that we talk about some hard things, but Keep in mind that our focus is to be on the Lord Jesus Christ, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. Look unto him, and then be watchful for the enemy as you walk. A statement that was given to me just recently was uh, not from the Word of God, but it was a statement that just grabbed a hold of me, and I'd like to share this statement with you, because I begin to think about this, how real this is, and especially in the lives of those who come to us for help. As Bill mentioned, the priority people that we see, first of all, are full-time Christian workers that are finding themselves losing at this point in time in their life, or their children. Then if there's, there's room, sometimes uh, some ATI families feel that they need some special help, and we help them. And then outside of that, we take uh, other families to come in uh, for the help, uh, and we only see them one week. We feel if if we cannot put you on uh, walking towards victory in a week, we can't do it in a month or two months. I, I feel like God can do his work relatively quickly in a person's life who's really desiring to walk with the Lord. But here's a statement. This is it. People may not always live what they profess. People may not always live what they profess but they will always live what they believe. It's a very awesome statement. It says, don't ask a man what he believes. Watch him in a crisis, and then you will know what he believes about God 
and God's power. I had a youth pastor sitting in my office one day, and all of a sudden his face turned into a, just a snarl. His eyes went funny, and voices began to speak out of him. And the voices that speak out of him said this, Logan, quit. Give up. We're winning. We're not all, and they said, Logan, about three times, Logan, give up. We're winning. We're winning. I know what was talking to me out of this young man. And he said, we're not only winning in his life, Logan, we're winning all over the world. And it was very difficult for me to answer that. A recent survey was just done amongst 2,000 Christian high school young people in junior high. This was done within this year. And the first question was, have you ever experienced some presence in your room? 2,000 Christian high school kids could fill this out and mail it back. Out of the 2,000, 50% of the junior high kids, which was uh, just only about 250, or 433 junior high kids were involved, the rest were high school, 50% of junior high kids in Christian schools saw or see presence in their room. 47% of high school kids see something in their room. Another question on the questionnaire was, have you ever heard voices in your subconscious talking to you. 57% of these junior high young people in Christian school hear voices. 70% of the high school kids hear voices. The enemy said, Logan, we're winning. We're winning. Last week, I had a missionary son for counseling, eight years old, sitting in my office. And I don't use the same approach. I just cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, how can we most help this individual? And as I cried out to the Lord, I asked this eight-year-old boy something that I don't normally ask. I asked him, I said, something to this effect. Do you ever hear things? And it was in a, I didn't just bring that on him. I worked him up to this. I said, do you ever hear things? that other people cannot hear? And he said, oh, yes. I said, do you ever see things that, that other people don't see? He said, yes, Mr. Logan. And I said, what do you see? He said, well, I see my friend. I said, what friend? He said, my friend that's sitting right here on the couch. And he told me his friend's name. And as I was moving that boy to prayer, his friend sitting on the couch who was invisible told him, I said, what's he telling you? He says, he's telling me to get up and to leave with him and not to stay here with you, that we need to get out of this room and leave together. There is an increase of this kind of activity across our land today. I think often the reason that we don't realize what's troubling some young people is we've never asked the question. Do they see something? Are they hearing something that is not of the Lord? I had a telephone call from a young married man in his early 30s, and he was weeping on the phone. In fact, he was almost sobbing hysterically, and he said, please help me. One of the most awful things happened to me last night. 
And that last night, as he was in bed, he woke up, and there were arms coming around the bed, and they were grabbing him and pulling him into the mattress. And there was beings standing around the bed looking at him and with uh, sinister-type beings. He finally was able to jump out of the bed, and he screamed, and he grabbed his Bible, and he held it to his chest and ran into the living room and told his wife, call the mental hospital and have me locked up and leave me. You're not safe living with me. And you go, what happened to this son of full-time Christian workers that this terrible kind of, of activity would take place in his life? He was adopted into this Christian family and into this, these people in full-time Christian work. And his adopted father made his living by selling drugs and uh, in prostitution. When he was at a Bible camp, he woke up one night, and there was a being in the cabin. And this being began to talk to him, and instead of resisting this being, he held conversations with it. And it promised to give him powers and so on. And so as a young teenager, he began to carry on conversations, and this fellow had unbelievable occultic powers in his life. And his wife would see him talking to nothing but talking to these beings. And often he would go back to that Bible camp and to that cabin and talk to the, the, the spirits there. He could call them at will and all kinds of strange things going on in his life. But for many years, they were just good, giving him powers, uh, helping him to do things, that kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, they turned on him with destruction and tried to kill him. And I'd like to see if we can't find out what happened in that young man's life. What did he do that opened him up, that allowed the enemy to come into his life and then for him to invite the enemy in and to draw power from these spirits in his life till they came to the point of absolute, total uh, abandonment. Now, he's writing his testimony. This young man is free today, and he's doing tremendous. Uh, his wife is thrilled, and God has done a work in his life. But as I deal with, with extreme, and I'm sure that you say, boy, this is extreme, and I'm saying, yes, I deal with the extreme. I deal with people that have gone through the counseling centers and have found no hope. Uh, we deal with people that have gone through the mental hospitals and, and they say there's nothing wrong with him, but there's something radically wrong with him. And so we do deal with very extreme people uh, for the most part. But the amazing thing is there's a common thread that I find woven into the lives and what got them going in the wrong direction. And if you have the Word of God, I'd like you to turn to the book of Isaiah and let us look together at this, this common thread that so many who are struggling and, and living in defeated lives are struggling with. And this is found in Isaiah chapter 14. And we have a, an account here of Lucifer, the son of morning. And the question was asked, why is it that you were cast down? What was it? Why did God remove you from his presence? What took place? Verse 12, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, 
I will ascend into the heavens. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. The first significant, I think, teaching that God has for us here is who did he say it to? Who did Satan say this to? And people, when I ask that, when they're sitting in my office, because we go through this when I'm going through with you, I'll use illustrations. Basically, I just go through the scripture alone with the, with the person. Because literally the thing that sets a man or a woman free is what? Truth. The truth will set you free. And someone in bondage is someone who is distorting the truth. And they don't see the truth of God's word. Or they're not willing to make commitments to the truth of God's word. And then they're starting to have problems. But Satan said this in his heart. The most important conversations that you and I have, we have with ourselves. The Lord Jesus says, as a man is thinking or speaking in his heart, what? So is he. If I really want to know what you're like, if you really want to know what I'm like, then you need to know what I'm thinking. And if you know how I think, you know the kind of person that I am becoming. And isn't that the battle? Casting down thoughts, pulling down these strongholds. The battle is in our mind. And Satan said these things to himself, and he said seven I wills. All of them are significant, but for our study uh, this afternoon, the last I will is the most significant one we want to look at. I will be like the Most High. He could have picked any name for God that he wanted to. And as you know, the names for God are significant because it reveals to us aspects of God's character. And what he was saying is, I want to be like God in this way. And the, the, the word was most high. In the Hebrew, it's El Elyon. And if you do a study on that word, you'll find one of the meanings of the word El Elyon is the sovereign one who reigns in the heavens and on the earth. So in essence, what was the enemy saying? He didn't say, I don't want God in my life. He said, I want to be like God in this major area of my life. And this is what he said. I want to retain the position to make the final authority or the final decisions for my own life. He was saying, God, you run heaven, and I'll run myself. What is it? What is that problem? When we want to sit upon the throne of our own lives and decide what commitments we'll make, what commitments we won't make, what areas of our life will we bring under God's control, what areas of our life do we want to grasp on and hold for ourselves? What is that called? Pride. Pride. When you and I allow pride in our hearts, we take our stand with the enemy. Pride, I believe, is one of the most devastating sins a Christian can commit. I think when that comes in your heart, you're going to see all kinds of conflicts come into the marriage, come into the family, come into whatever relationships you're in. When pride comes in, these things will come in when the Lord is no longer the sovereign one in my life. Let's go to the book of Proverbs 
and let's just do a quick study through Proverbs. What does God say about pride in the book of Proverbs? Proverbs chapter 6, we have the first mention of pride. God said in verse 16, there are six things that I hate, and yea, seven are an abomination unto me. And the very first thing in God's hate list is what? Pride focused in the countenance. Just today, just a few minutes ago, a man came into my presence. I didn't know this person. I had never seen this person. And I looked on his face, and I turned and I said to Bill, there's two things that this person is struggling with, sensuality and pride. It was just radiating from his countenance. And God said, I've gone on record, I hate it. Because that person is setting themselves up as what? The final authority in their own lives. Don't miss it, final authority in your own life. That is what the enemy wanted. And when we do that, you're going to be attacked again and again and again to do that because it's such an effective weapon of the enemy. It's a flaming missile that brings such devastation when it finds its mark in the life of an individual. Turn to Proverbs uh, chapters 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. What is the very first evil that is mentioned? Pride and arrogancy and the evil way. Literally, it can be translated in the Hebrew that God says, I hate pride and I hate arrogancy as much as I do an evil lifestyle. We've got to see that this is high on God's list. Look at Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then will come shame. Whenever you see someone in ministry that comes to shame. There is good evidence here. What came first? Pride. Pride comes first, and shame will follow. Look at Proverbs 13.10. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. I got a call last week from an ATI father wanting to know if what he was observing was true. He said, I am having major battles in my life, and most of them, I'm being defeated. And Mr. Logan, I'm being defeated with destructive temptation. But he said, you know what I've noticed? Every time that I'm defeated with destructive temptation, my children are coming under destructive attacks. He said, am I just imagining that, or is that really true? And you know the answer, don't you? It's yes. Yes. When the enemy binds the strong man, then he comes in on the children. And they were having destructive temptations, in fact, not only temptations, but actually destructive behavior in the same areas, but on a child level, that their dad was being defeated in. 
the very same areas where he would be bound, the children were involved in activities way beyond their years in the attacks that they were experiencing. It is so important for you and I to look at the areas of our life and bring them under the control of God. Look at Proverbs 16.5. Everyone that is proud in heart becomes an abomination to the Lord. Everyone. Proverbs 16.18. Uh, Pride will go before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So often when someone calls on the phone and asks us for help, they're concerned about the problems that they're having. We had a young person, a high school student, come in. And that was after careful screening because, as Bill mentioned, we don't charge. So you can imagine the numbers of people that call around from the United States, and we also have people coming from other parts of the world to come for counseling. We can't see everybody. So we, can, we have to be, be sure that the people we're seeing are really sincere, and they have the kind of problem that we can give them the best kind of help for. And this young teenager, a high school student, or a high school age student, was sitting on my couch. And the very first thing I have a person do is to declare verbally whose side they're on. That they will make a definite, clear statement right there. Something like this. That I am through with Satan, his works, and his ways in my life. And I want to be totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Something to that effect. Telling the enemy you no longer want his influence or control upon your life and that you want to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. I explained it. I looked at this Christian young man. His parents are in Christian ministry. He didn't say anything. And I looked to see if there was some type of demonic activity that may be uh, hindering him, and it didn't appear to be. And so I explained it again. He sat there, and he still didn't say anything. It didn't seem that difficult. I said, you know, you can put this in your own words. You don't have to say my words, but I want you to make a, a declaration of where you're standing. And because of this, we will come along with the steps that are in the, you have in the book number three of uh, Life Purpose Journal, that we will take you through these steps, but you must declare whose side you're on. And he said, Mr. Logan, you don't understand. If I do that, I will lose the powers I have, and I will be like every other teenager. See, we assume that because people don't like what's happening in their life, that they want to change. And that's a wrong assumption. Some people come to me because they want me to stop the attacks, but they don't want to change their life. And God wants us to change our life. So pride will come. And this young man left with me not able to help him because he didn't want to change. Isn't that a tragedy? 
because he doesn't realize where that road is going to take him. Turn to Proverbs 28, 25. He that is proud of heart stirreth up strife. Some of the strife that we've seen in some of the ATI families is over this one issue, and that is the dads are not really committed. They're committed to the program, but they're not committed to the commitments. I trust I said that right. If you understood what I'm saying, nod your head. That I, you understand what I'm saying. And we have, and I think the enemy gets in in a, in a real way here as the strife is going on because the mom begins to be attacked with fear. Because as the commitments are being pushed, she's not sure that dad's going to stand with her in these areas. And I can't tell you how the enemy uses that to bring so much pressure upon a family. Because moms have a tendency to be fearful when they begin to see the cracks being revealed. And are not sure that dad is going to stand because he's not sure of his commitments. Has he made a profession? Or does he really believe? If he believes, the pressure will cause him to stand. If he doesn't believe and he's only made a profession, there's going to be a lot of wavering. And that causes the mom to become fearful of what's going to happen here when he's not standing strong on these convictions. The last verse in Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride shall bring him low. How does this happen? Why is it that God tells us again and again that if I allow pride to come into my life, and if I don't deal with that pride, it will eventually cause me to fall? It will cause, if I'm a father, it will cause my home to crumble? The house of the proud will be destroyed. Why? does this take place? What are the dynamics? Turn to the New Testament and look at the book of James. James chapter 4. James, the Proverbs of the New Testament. James chapter 4 tells us something so important in the area of, of battle. In verse 6, There was a couple of things when I went to my first seminar in 1968. Bill Gothard stood on top of tables like this and wrote on a blackboard. We've come a long ways. <laughs> blackboard and chalk, and you couldn't see it sometimes. And then he would squeak the board, and my wife would, she'd get the point because she'd wiggle, you know, as the chalk would sometimes squeak on the board. 
But, you know, as Bill shared, there were some things that, as a, I was a pastor at that time, and there were some things that just came to my heart, and one of them was his explanation of grace. I never knew what grace was. You know, I knew it was a word. I knew it was saved by grace. I knew it was kept saved by grace. But that's, and I knew it was, and I wouldn't say what they call it, but what I learned in Bible college is what I taught as a pastor, what meant absolutely nothing. You know, you didn't know what it was. What is this thing that's so important? And here, in warfare, it is absolutely essential. You and I cannot stand in ourselves against the forces of darkness. Do you know that? They are more powerful than individuals. The Lord Jesus Christ was made lower than the angels. The angels have more power than an individual person. But wicked spirits are only spirits of influence. They seek to influence me in areas of my life. The Holy Spirit seeks to influence me in areas of my life. And as I yield those areas to the, to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will take control of them. The enemy seeks also the same thing. And so to whom I yield myself to, his servants I will become. So the enemy is constantly trying to pull me away. Will I yield myself to his influence? So influence behavior. All wicked spirits, including Satan himself, is only a created being. He has not divine power. He's just a created being. And the one who created him, and those who are in part of creation, part of the Godhead, came and died for me, secured victory over the enemy at the cross, and that spirit now resides in me. So the one who created is within me, Truly, God's word is true. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. For the one who is a part of creation indwells me, and he has greater power than the enemy. And then he says, God gives. What kind of grace? Often people read, they say, God gives grace. And no, that's not what the word of God says. God doesn't just give grace. God gives what? More grace. Isn't that wonderful? Remember, grace is the desire and the power to live a godly life. It's the work of God. God puts that desire in my heart. God empowers me so that I might live in a way that would be pleasing to him, that I might bring the areas of my life under the control of God's Holy Spirit. God gives more grace. If God is giving more grace then why are so many Christians defeated in the spiritual battle? It's a good question, isn't it? If there is more empowering of God, why are we defeated? And what does the very next verse say? God resists who? The proud. Can you see why the enemy would want you to let pride come into your life? Because God begins to resist the proud. When I say, God, I don't want you to control that area of my life, God pulls back. I say, God, I don't want you in this area of my life, God pulls back. And then the enemy comes in, and I cannot stand against him, and I'll fall, just as the word of God says. Pride comes, and then comes what? A fall. Look at this. This can change your whole life. This can change the whole, your whole concept of spiritual warfare. 
when you look at this, God gives grace to those who humble themselves before him and say, God, without your empowering today, I'll not stand against the forces of darkness, for we do not wrestle flesh and blood, but we wrestle principalities and these powers. And Lord, I need your empowering in my life today that I might stand true and walk in a way that would be pleasing to you today. And at the end of the day, that you might say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And then he says here, verse 7, here it comes. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Are you willing to submit yourself to God? We know a teenager... If those of you who get my, my prayer letter have testimonies in there, and there was a testimony just in this last prayer letter of a missionary son. And this missionary son went into a room, and it was a friend of his, and he was playing rock music. This missionary son knew his folks did not want him to listen to that kind of music. He was 12 years of age at the time. As he began to listen to that music, the enemy took advantage of that situation and began to control the life of this young person. This is his own testimony now. He is now 25, sharing. He looks back on his life. Where did it go bad? Where did it start? His life began to go downhill so fast that his folks could not return to the mission field. I was not able to work with this young man. In fact, at the time, this young man came into my life. I did not recognize the working of the enemy, so I tried to deal with this as if it was a, just a regular problem. But there was enemy involvement in his life as he resisted God's standards of music and decided that that was his area of life. Well, the enemy came in. I trained some young men in the Navigator uh, organization and how to deal with those who are under enemy attack, and how to help a person come to freedom. This young man, who I knew all through his teenage years, and watched his life go downhill constantly. I mean, it just was a downhill slide, breaking the heart of his mom and dad, who could not go back to the field with the, this rebelliousness and the music and all that this young person was into, and they just could not seem to stop this young man from the, his downward slide. He went to this university, and these two young men that I had the privilege of spending some time with and teaching him how to help someone that was losing, said, wait a minute, this young man has a dimension to his problem. It's clear the enemy's involved. And they took him through those steps that you have been given. And that young man has come to freedom. But it all started, and he could tell you the, the, the country he was in, the room he was in, and he could tell you the, the very song he was listening to when the enemy began to take control of his life when he resisted in this area. This young man that I told you about, crying on the telephone, the one area of his life he would not bring under God's control was in the area of dating, marriage, morals, that whole area. I don't know, did I mention to you, I can't remember, that when these arms came and he was telling me about that, I asked him the one question. Did I, did I mention the question I asked him on the phone? Do you have pornography? I said, do you have pornography? He said, yes. I said, and he's crying, and he said, I can't live like this. I said, uh, are you uh, willing to destroy that pornography? 
He said, yes, Mr. Logan, I'll destroy it. I said, you destroy that pornography, I'll pray against the forces of darkness, and I'm almost totally assured that you'll not come under attack like this. But I know this is only tip of the iceberg. You need to come for further help and to come to freedom. And he destroyed that pornography. I mean, I prayed with him. He destroyed that pornography. And it was like about six weeks from the home phone call till he could get in there, or two months. Never again. And he was being attacked nightly by the enemy with these nightmares and, and things in the room and all this terrible stuff that was going on. Stop. And uh, when he destroyed, one of the things they were using. But this young man, whose mom and dad were in a very godly, godly ministry, in a very godly organization, resisted God's standards of morality. And the enemy was totally wiping this fellow out. I couldn't even begin to go into all the horrible moral uh, mess that this young man found himself in. So he says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Get under God's authority. Put your, every area of your life under the control of the Lord Jesus Christ. And from that position, what can you do? You can resist the enemy with the word of God, and he will go. But I'm going to tell you something. If he has a right to stay, he goes nowhere. If he has a right to be there, he will not go. He will only stay because he has a right. We had a family, and the dad called, and he said, this is so incredible. But he said, we were having a problem with our son. He started having night tears. He was a kindergarten age. And not just a nightmare, but these kids would wake up screaming and crying night after night, night after night. In fact, he had them every night. Started when he was going to, to kindergarten. Every day he'd get up and say, please don't make me go to school. Please don't make me go to school. They made him go to school. He went to the first grade, nightmares, every night. And the family is trying to, what's going on here? Why are we under attack like this? Every day he'd say, I don't want to go to school. I don't want to go to school. That's first grade. Second grade, nightmares. Every day, I don't want to go to school, I don't want to go to school. And the school decided he should repeat second grade. So when the father called me, he was repeating the second grade. And one day, the mother was crying out to God, and she said, what is it? Why is our family under attack? We've examined the areas of our life. And the Lord, as far as we know, we have taken every area and said, Lord, you take control of it. And yet we're still having a problem here in the family. And she was making the twin bed. And she took a teddy bear off the one bed and threw it on the other bed. And she made the bed. And the Spirit of God said, it's the teddy bear. And she thought, that doesn't seem credible. But it was pretty strong. So she took the teddy bear. And she went husband. And the boy went to school that day not wanting to go. And she said, you know, it seems like that somehow the attacks on our son, the only one in the family being attacked, is associated with this teddy bear. And uh, the dad said, well, let's look at it. And he turned the label over, and it was the same company that made Cabbage Patch dolls. This is a pastor. He took the teddy bear, and he said, boy, I've heard about Cabbage Patch dolls. And he took the teddy bear, and he put it in a plastic sack, 
and they put it in the living room. When the boy came home that night, and they said, you know, his nightmare started about the time he got the teddy bear. And so when the boy came home that night, they said, would it be all right if you didn't sleep with your teddy bear? And they went in the bedroom, and they'd already prayed before God's protection. This time they prayed God's protection. That night, for the first time from kindergarten and second grade, halfway through again, there, that young boy slept without a nightmare. The next morning he got up, and you know what he said? Mom, we better hurry. I'll be late for school. And he brought home for the very first time a paper that they could read. The enemy can be associated also with things. My last prayer letter, there's some here that I went to work with Indians in Canada. The director of that mission's here, and one of the missionaries is here. We went up with five missions and worked with the Indians in Canada. You cannot work with people from animistic backgrounds. They'll tell you that the, the demonic spirits can be associated with things. And so when there's an attack, and you know that your life, as much as you know, is submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you need to walk through your home and say, Lord, is there something in this home that the enemy is using to attack our family in this way? And we have many testimonies, and Bill has lots of testimonies, of people that when they found the article and destroyed that article, that attack stopped completely. I want to leave you with a challenge. The Lord Jesus Christ said, if any man, woman, or young person would want to follow me, there's two things that I require of you. One is to say no to self and yes to God. If you say no to God, you're allowing the enemy an area of your life to begin to attack. Dr. Warren Wiersbe makes this statement. Any area of your life that you do not wish to place under God's control, the enemy has a right to attack it.